And we will take you through each of the steps. I'm working specifically on the issue of body image. So you will be reading from the literature, um, just so you know, the, like these aren't things that just came out of our head. Like this is based in, um, in the literature and of our own experience. So what, the things that we ask you today are the things that we have done and continue to do. Um, and then we'll give you an opportunity to write. There will be some opportunities as well to share. You probably won't be able to have time to share everything. Um, so we definitely recommend that you know you keep your writing and share it with your sponsor or whatever, um, or with anybody else. Um, and then, yeah, that's it really takes us pretty much a full three hours. So um, just sit down, buckle up, and no, I'm just but I'll, I'll go ahead and start a little bit of my own story. Um, I, uh, I, my abstinence date is August 4th, uh, 2002. So I've been absent uh, 14 some odd years. My top weight that I know was uh, 311 pounds. I've been maintaining about 160 or so pound weight loss for probably about 12 and a half years now, I think it is. pictures um, just um, for that and um, you know a lot of our focus today is going to be obviously on body image so we're not going to get into a lot of details about abstinence and stuff like that um, but for me I know that I was not the interesting thing about when I came in was that I'd always had a very bad relationship with my body. I hated my body, just straight up. Like, could not stand it, didn't like being in it. Um, I always considered myself kind of cut off at the neck. Like, I would think, oh, I look really nice from, like, here up. You know, and that was reinforced, because growing up, it was like, you have such a pretty face, if only, blah, blah, blah. And, um, but what drove me into these rooms was that I was, I could no longer ignore the discomfort that I felt being in my body. I, I couldn't go around pretending like I wasn't as big as I was. Because literally, like, every time I looked in the mirror, I was like, oh, God, like, I had no idea I was that big. Like, I, I'd see pictures and be like, oh, my God. You know, I'd look down and see, like, a second stomach. It's not like I wasn't carrying it around all the time. I just had, I was not in it. So I just, you know, was like, ugh. And, um, but it had gotten to the point where I couldn't ignore it anymore. And so when I came in, you know, and they said, like, the only requirement is desire to stop eating compulsively, I was like, okay, whatever. Like, I was so drunk, honestly. <laughs> really, that's what, I was just so drunk and so dead. I was like, okay. But if I had really looked at that and honestly asserted myself, I wasn't ready to stop eating, wasn't willing to stop eating compulsively because I didn't think that was the problem. My problem was the body. My problem was that I was fat. The problem was that I was unhappy and I was miserable and it was all because of my body. Um, now, the food was simply the drug that I used to punish my body, to keep this absurd layer of protection that didn't actually protect me, um, all the stories that I made up about it. Um, it was my voice, honestly, because I didn't really have a constructive voice. Um, and it was a way of just keeping a buffer between me and the rest of life. You know, you could touch me wherever you wanted, you could get as close to me as you wanted, and I never said, no, I'm sorry, I'm not comfortable with that, because I had an extra 160 whatever pounds to do that for me. And um, so, you know, the complete insanity, that doesn't do anything. Um, and so, 
you know, growing up, my experience was I was a pretty average-sized kid till I hit about puberty. Um, things were really um, mixed for me growing up. You know, I I was very unsafe in my own household, and I was also very loved in my own household. Um, so I had a lot of confusion going on, and most of that I interpreted as being my body's problem. It was just an easy thing to focus on, like, well, it must be my body. And everyone else in the world affirmed that for me. Oh, you're fat. Like, everything's fine. And my, everything, the story in our family was, everything's fine, Colleen's just fat. Because I'm the sort of lone addict in my family, at least the most obvious one. Um, and so there was nobody, like, I didn't have alcoholic parents. I had parents who were depressed. Uh, I had parents who were very, um, you know, had stuff that they hadn't dealt with, you know. And that's just their path. Um, and so I didn't have a lot of skills for living. So that was one of the brilliant things for me about getting the 12 steps. And I was reflecting on that this morning that like, it's like this guidebook and this, this you know, way of living that just makes everything doable, literally. And I, had, I was walking around half the time going, I must have missed something. Like, I was always a good student. I was always at school. But like, did I, where did I miss up, you know? And, um, you know, so as a kid growing up, like, you know, as I started to put on weight and stuff like that, um, you know, the kids would make fun of me. I remember doing things in middle school, like, you know, we'd come out back from PE or whatever, we'd be standing in line at the water fountain, and I could hear my breathing. So again, I was where my body and potentially everybody else was, so I would start to hold my breath. And, you know, if you're not breathing, you're not living. So <laughs> that's another way to sort of shut down my body. Um, I didn't know how to say things to people like, ow, that hurts, or don't touch me that way, or um, I need you to, to say a certain distance. And so food kept me quiet. It kept me numb. And, you know, I mean, the sugar stuff started really early for me. Um, I mean, I have vague memories of, of, like, the Carvel restaurant, which in New York is, is an ice cream shop, you know, and the... the the thing being rolled in the jimmies, which are the chocolate sprinkles, and that like, ha-ha, yes. You know, so it definitely took me to another place. But then after a while, you need more and more stuff because to maintain over a 300-pound uh, body, you have to be pummeling a lot of stuff. So that, you know, the, the fatter it was, the more fried it was, the more bready it was, the more sugar, you just lay it on. And then after a while, I'm, I'm not even paying attention to what I'm putting in my body or how it makes my body feel. So... Um, you know, by the time I come into these rooms, I, I'm managing. I mean, I have a job. I have friends. I, you know, I have a relationship with my family. Um, the dating thing was a little less straight, you know, clear. Um, but, you know, I wasn't, like, completely devoid of any experience. So there was nothing, and I didn't have any massive health issues. I was on the cusp, but there were no blood tests or nothing screaming at me, like, you need to get this under control now. Um, so again, it really just was that defeated feeling. I was in a therapist's office and she said, you might like this program. And I was like, oh, whatever. But I came in and, and the room that I was in in the San Fernando Valley, they had the steps on the wall. And I saw God in like every single one of those steps and I was like, huh, that's interesting. Because I was really raised in a particular faith and I had a relationship with God. Now, of course, I never let I never involved God in my food. Why, why would I do that? Like, I never involved God in, like, how I see my body. 
why would I do that? Like, those were very human things, you know? And so what I learned in coming into program and getting a sponsor, and I've had a number of sponsors over the year, was that, you know, I had to begin step by step to really get back into reality because I'd been living in a fantasy in my head that like how I was treating myself was not causing any problems. And I don't just mean physically problems, but I mean that like it emotionally kept me cut off from people. Um, it made me want to hide from the world. And I don't think that that's what my higher power had in mind. But I was so busy just trying to survive most of the time that I didn't have time to think about that. And I didn't even realize, you know, I always laugh because I remember early on in program, I probably have like a minute left, but I remember early on in program um, hearing all the time like more will be revealed. And I naively thought that meant good stuff all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm glad that I had that naivete and that willingness to just do whatever it took because I, I literally was on my knees. Um, And my whole entire life has been transformed, and it continues to be. There's always work to do because I'm still here. You know, I figure if I'm still breathing, there must be something to work on and to enjoy and to grow from and to learn from. But I can do it now without punishing myself, without blaming my body, without making myself wrong all the time, without hurting myself with food. Um, because I'm not interested in just trying to plot out a long, slow death. I actually want to live. And I can look in the mirror, and I can like what I see. It doesn't mean, like, every day I'm like, well, you're fabulous. No, it just means that, like, I'm like, wow, you know? Like, when I really stop to reflect on the miracle of these 12 steps, I'm absolutely blown away and so humbled. And I, it's like, I don't even... I don't even know where to start. I mean, somebody asked me, they're like, so what are the 12 steps? And I was sort of baffled. And she's like, see, you can't even explain it. I'm thinking, yeah, how can I possibly explain this process which has allowed me to live and be in the world as it is and not want to run and hide and abandon myself and block everybody else out in the process and close off my heart more and more? I don't understand that. So I just keep showing up and doing the work the best that I can. So thank you. Hi, I'm Susan. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Hi, it's nice to be here. Thanks for asking us to uh, to come up here. Um, I started being obsessed with food when I was uh, oh no, that's the problem here. Okay. <laughs> when I was four, and by the time I was six, I was being made fun of for my size. And um, I missed it. I'm sorry. By the time you were six, what? I started being made fun of because okay. of my size. I, mean, I just want to ask, is it, can everyone hear them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, well, can you move these tables in more? Because um, we can't stand up because we're referring to the books all the time. Okay. So I maybe. Look, 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 and that might drown out the traffic. Okay, I'll, I'll uh, speak louder too. For, I, I don't want to, um, to wait for that. So um, I started hating myself when I was six. And um, I used to hide behind things 
like when people would come over to our house and we were in the backyard and I would literally stand behind garbage cans so that people wouldn't be reminded of my size and make fun of me. Um, it was, um, it was a very, it was a really hard existence and food um, kind of kept me company. You know, it, um, I was very lonely and I think the food really saved my life at that time. Um, I was put on my first diet when I was 10 and pretty much stayed on a diet uh, forever. Um, and uh, food was my friend then. I, I really, um, I have to be grateful for that. I grew up in, in kind of a chaotic place. It was very unsafe. And um, that's what it was. And I needed that food. I started, I started stealing money from my parents when I was seven. And I would bring it to school um, in those days. I grew up in, a, in like a farm community. And some of the kids went home for lunch uh, then. And so I would give the money to this kid, Frankie Stetler, who, who was going home for lunch. He was passing a 7-Eleven on the way. And I had him buy me, like, hostess. Whatever it was, whatever they had as hostess, I wanted. And uh, that was great. And I did that every day. Every day. I needed that. Um, so I was, I kind of just lived my life. I was uh, bulimic for 15 years. Um, lost all my front teeth from that. And, um, and then I couldn't purge anymore, so I, um, but I kept eating like a bulimic, so my weight really went up, and when I came in, I was a size 18. Um, what this program has done for me is miraculous, because unlike Colleen, I had no relationship uh, with a higher power. I had a religion just by kind of identity. You know, this was who I was. And, um, but I didn't do anything about that religion or about any religion. And I didn't have a God. I was really, I had a, a tragedy hit our family when I was about 16. And my cousin, who was my best friend at the time, um, he died. And because I had prayed to God to keep him alive, he was very sick. And because I prayed and because he died, well, that was it. There's no God. Uh, I, I'm in it alone. And um, anybody who believes in God is stupid, is really the way I thought. So, um, but I couldn't stop eating. And, you know, life has a way of happening. And we just keeps happening. And, you know, got married, got divorced. Oh, my divorce. I lost my appetite for two weeks. It's never happened before. <laughs> And um, you know what was amazing about losing my appetite was? I lost weight very quickly. And I thought, oh, this is what people do when they don't eat, you know. They lose weight. Um, and that's when my bulimia really kicked in because my appetite came back and I didn't want to gain the weight back. And I made a conscious decision that whenever I ate something, I was going to throw it up. I mean, that's kind of how I lived my life for a long time, many years. So, um, 
so that's what I did. Um, so when I, uh, when I was ready, when I was sick and tired, when I knew I was powerless, and when I knew that even though you were going to talk about God, I still needed to come here anyway because I had tried everything else. You know, I just, every diet, I had this book, Consumer Reports Rates the Diets. And every morning I'd wake up, grab a cigarette, and look at the book and figure out what diet was going to help me really eat whatever I wanted and still lose weight. That's what I was looking for. I was looking for that thing that's not even a miracle. I was looking that, for that lie, you know. Um, so and I knew you were going to talk about God and I was really not interested in that but like I said I, I kind of I had nowhere else to go and you know like all of you I, I don't know anybody who skips into OA really. We all kind of crawl in with bloodied knees you know like all right all right I, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to this. And um, I started listening I started coming to a lot of meetings and I started listening to what you all said. And I noticed that anybody who had what I wanted and who had serenity, that thing, that elusive thing called serenity, anybody who had that also had a very strong relationship to a higher power. And, you know, after about a month I thought, all right, I'll do it because I want that. I wanted that more than I wanted a dozen donuts. And um, so I acted as if I pretended that I believed in a higher power. After a while, my higher power um, became known to me. And uh, for the next few months before I got abstinent, I really spent most of my time developing a relationship with my higher power, you know, just getting that God muscle going. And when I woke up, I had stuff next to my bed that I saw when I first woke up because I wasn't smoking by that time. And um, I read things in the morning. When something nice happened, I reminded myself to have gratitude to my higher power. Um, and uh, so that's what I did for the next uh, few months. So um, what I want to tell you about is really, is that my time? Okay, I'm going to be very brief here. I just want to tell you about my, um, how I got abstinent. Because uh, I wasn't abstinent yet. And I kept, I had like a couple of 30-day chip things and I just, I couldn't stay abstinent. So here I am, I'm on the third step. Call my sponsor every day. And um, I needed something. I needed something physical to do for that third step so that I could turn my will and my life over to the, the care of my higher power. And one day I was reading um, Peanuts, and which is not conference approved, uh, last I've looked, but <laughs> if you don't tell, I won't tell. So um, I was reading Peanuts, and uh, Charlie Brown is reading a book, and Lucy's on a swing. And Charlie says to Lucy, do you know that it takes 365 days for the Earth to revolve around the sun? And Lucy looks up and, really? Yep, you sure about that? Yep. And in the last frame is Lucy on the swing and she says, 
Well, that's funny, because I thought the world revolved around me. <laughs> and my thought was, Lucy too, literally. And I pictured one of those globes from elementary school on my head, you know, those really bright blue tin globes spinning on my head. And I just gave it to my higher power. And um, that was me taking the third step. The other thing that happened at the same time was I was uh, on a walk with this guy that I used to work with, and um, he was in AA. And we were talking about the steps and whatever, and I was talking about OA. And he said, Susan, tell me something. Um, how long have you been going to OA? About five months now. How come you're still fat? And I kind of, did I have an answer for him? Obviously, we know why I was still fat. Um, he said, and I know your sponsor, and she's fat. <coughs> and um, I kind of went into this whole thing. I felt compelled to stand up for her and say, well, she's like a coach. You know, those Olympic coaches, they're, you know, they're, they can train people, but they are not the athlete themselves. You know, I was trying to bullshit myself. But that afternoon, on the way back from the park, I was kind of talking to myself and I thought, well, if not now, when? And um, so I became abstinent. And that was 30 years ago on October 26 that I got abstinent. And thank you, thank you. It, it's, a, it, it's a really big deal to me and it, it means so much to me. And, um, you know, like Colleen said, be, because I'm here, my life is so different today. And, um, but that doesn't mean like I get to coast on it. Um, I have to do the work today. I have to do the work to stay abstinent and I have to do the work to accept my body because I hated my body for a long time. <clears throat> Excuse me, no matter what it looked like, no matter what size it was, I hated it. And, um, and I was ashamed of it. So. Uh, we've come up with this, these things that we have done to um, help us, and we hope that um, you'll find it helpful too. So thanks for letting me share. All right, so yeah, why don't we do that? We're going to start with step one. We're going to go through all the steps and um, in, relation, in relationship to uh, our bodies. Everybody have one? So what we're going to do with this, I don't know if any of you have heard of the set-aside prayer. We're just going to read the top paragraph, which is the set-aside prayer. I'll talk about it for a minute. And then um, 
the rest of the um, page you can look at at home. And um, if you're like me, I love anything that has to do with the literature. So um, this is all pertaining to the big book. So why don't we just all say the set aside prayer together, okay? God, please set aside for me all the things I think I know about you, me, AA, OA, the 12 steps, recovery, and especially spiritual matters, so I can have an open mind for a new experience of all these things. So that's what we're going to um, ask you to do today, is just have an open mind and um, just be open to what we ask you to do and open to um, most of what we ask you to do and, um, and just see how the day works out for you, okay? So I'm gonna start with step one. We admitted we were powerless over compulsive eating, that our lives had become unmanageable. Um, we have seen, uh, Colleen and I, and experienced that for many of us the obsession with food was accompanied by a, um, a body obsession. So um, uh, that's what our experience is, and that's how, how this whole thing came about. So in OA, on page six, paragraph one, it says, only an honest admission to ourselves of the reality of our condition can save us from destructive eating. But there is also that little dash in step one, and, um, and it says, and our lives have become unmanageable. The same principle applies to our unmanageable lives. As long as we know what is best for us, we cling to our habitual ways of thinking and acting. Susan, are you in the 12 and 12, honey, or the No, I'm in the OA, 12 and 12, page six. Mm -hmm. Okay. Page six. Everybody's right? Everybody's there, right? Okay. Um, where am I? Uh, as long as we know what is best for us, we cling to our habitual ways of thinking and acting. Yet these ways of thinking and acting got us into the unhealthy, unhappy condition where we were when we came to OA. So this is, you know, as long as we think we know what's best, that's why we're asking you to also set aside what you think you know what is best and, um, and just be with us today. Um, what I've learned is a sick mind cannot cure a sick mind. And um, what I've learned by coming here is that even Bill Wilson, who wrote all the AA literature, um, he didn't create this out of his alcoholic mind. He got the idea that we have a disease from Dr. Silkworth, who wrote um, the, uh, for, what's that? Doctor's Opinion, thank you. Who wrote the Doctor's Opinion, he was the one who came up with that, the idea that um, an alcoholic was a sick person. Um, Carl Jung, the psychiatrist, who came up with the idea that only a psychic change could change an alcoholic, uh, from a drinker to a non-drinker. And then there was the Oxford group that Bill and Dr. Bob had joined, which was like a new thought group in the 30s. And they had six steps that they used, including um, admitting, including uh, 
telling somebody your, your life story, making restitution, things like that. So um, what Bill did was he just kind of spread them out. He made uh, one of the steps six and seven, one of them eight and nine. So, um, so that's how I know that I can't do this myself. And on page 52 in the big book, there's something called the bedevilments that they, they call that in the big book. Um, and it's really more about being uh, powerless over compulsive eating. We had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be a real help to other people. Um, so why shouldn't we apply this to our, uh, why, why shouldn't we apply to our human problems this same readiness that we have to change our point of view? Um, so what we're going to do now is the first writing um, for this step is to write how has the way you have obsessed over your body affected your life? How have you been powerless over the way you feel about your body? So um, you'll just have about a minute or two to write on, yeah, two minutes to write on that, and then um, we'll get back to. Sure, of course. How has the way that you have obsessed over your body, how you've been powerless over this obsession, affected your life? socializing, intimate relationships, confidence in yourself, different things like that. How has the way that you have obsessed over your body affected your life? How has the way you have been powerless over the way you think about your body affected your life? Uh, socializing, intimate relationships, confidence in yourself. Okay. Um, in Voices of Recovery on page uh, 15, January 15th, it says, I am powerless over fixing myself, but I am not helpless. So I like that. That goes with uh, step one. So like Colleen said, there are some things here that you're writing that you're not going to share here. Um, and there's some things that you will share with a partner here. It, there won't be sharing you know, on the group level. But um, the things that you don't share here, please make sure you share with somebody, you know, your sponsor. If you don't have a sponsor, it's somebody. But really, don't, um, don't keep these things to yourself, OK? So um, step two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So if our lives are unmanageable and we need to be restored to sanity, why not apply it to this part of my life always, uh, also? So what do we need? We need what it says in the big book on page 47. It says, do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? That's all we need when, when we do all this work, is just willingness. And in uh, the OA 12 and 12, on page 16, it tells us how we do this. 
we could begin to do this by asking ourselves what exactly we needed and wanted God to be to us and to do for us. Then we acted as if God were really exactly what we wanted and needed our higher power to be. We became willing to let go of any concept about God which wasn't helping us to recover from compulsive eating. And we had to replace our old ideas about God with a faith that worked. So, um, excuse me, what page was that love? 16, uh, 16, 16. OA 12 and 12. Um, so coming to believe was something that happened as we begin to take an action that others told us works for them, right? So um, in the uh, 12 and 12, the A 12 and 12, uh, sanity is defined as soundness of mind. So for your step two writing, it is, what does sanity look like to you with regards to your obsession with your body or how you think about your body. I'll read it again. What does sanity look like to you with regards to your obsession with your body or how you think about your body? Everybody got that? So it'll be two minutes for that. Sure. What does sanity look like to you with regards to your obsession with your body or how you think about your body? get to create what you want. All right, step three. Um, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. So in the big book on page uh, 60, um, it says that we were con being convinced we were at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him. And what I love in the big book is that they often go, so what did we do, or how do we do this? So it says then that the first requirement is we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. So I had to acquiesce that my um, meaning, meaningful thoughts and hatred of my body was not helping it to move in any direction whatsoever. Um, and, you know, it goes on to talk about how we try and live by self-propulsion, which is the same idea. Like, I could will myself, like, if I, if I demonize my body hard enough and long enough, it would surely change. Um, and then on page 62, it says, uh, last paragraph, this is the how and the why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal, we are his agents. He is the father and we are his children. Most good ideas are simple and this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we passed to freedom. So I love anywhere in our literature where it talks about this is how you get to freedom. Um, in the Voices of Recovery on page 223, which is August 10th, it says, we now say yes to this power, deciding from here on to follow spiritual guidance and making every decision. That comes from the OA 12 and 12, page 19. And then the person reflected, in every decision, my mind went into instant rebuff mode upon reading those words. Oh sure, I could see the need to surrender my will and my life to a power greater than myself in food-related matters. Just how many fruits can I dice up really small and cram on top of my cereal and still remain spiritually fit? How many trips to the salad bar constitutes a normal meal? 
but every decision, whether to ask for a raise, to take on a new sponsoree, to read Lifeline or TV Guide, to go to bed with this attractive stranger, to phone my mother or my sponsor, to tell this jerk I'm plenty miffed, and all the small and large decisions that made up a day that make up a life. The words on the first page of step three gazed back at me serenely. I hesitated and then totally capitulated to their injunction and I've never regretted that surrender. So the question that I'm gonna give you a couple minutes to write on is what would you like your higher power to do for you in the area of body image? What would you like your higher power to do for you in the area of body image? It's really speaking to like, how would you like your higher power to help you with your perception of your body? Okay, step four. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. So in the AA 12 and 12 on page 49, it points out two little gremlins that might pop up. One they call pride, which it says, says you need not pass this way. And fear says you dare not look. But the testimony of A's who really tried a moral inventory is that pride and fear of this sort turn out to be the boogeyman, nothing else. And so what I'm reminded of is in the big book on page 64 when it talks about step four in the second paragraph on that page, it reminds us that this is a fact-finding and fact-facing process. Most of the fear and the pride is um, around that we think it's, it's going to be a shaming process. And it says nowhere in our literature that this is a shaming process. It's an effort to discover the truth. So then it encourages us on page 65 at the very bottom. It says, um, nothing counts but thoroughness and honesty. And for me, I'm always looking, you know, we're familiar with the ninth and the 10th step promises, but in the A 12 and 12 and throughout the literature, there are a number of different promises. Um, but the one for step four comes from the AA 12 and 12, um, page 49. It starts on the bottom of page 49 and then goes to the top of 50. And it says, um, the latter part of that paragraph, once we have a complete willingness to take inventory and exert ourselves to do the job thoroughly, a wonderful light falls upon this foggy scene. As we persist, a brand new kind of confidence is born and the sense of relief at finally facing ourselves is indescribable. These are the first fruits of step four. So as usual, this program is always about it, if we're willing, then it at least gives us a step in the right direction. So the step four inventory process, because we want to be thorough, um, it's up to you to be honest, um, it's gonna come in three different forms. Um, the first part, we're gonna look at your history, okay? So either prior to becoming abstinent, prior to walking into the room this day, you're gonna look back um, on your past and look at how you treated your body, okay? And so the prompts that I give you on there, it's not for those of you who are perfectionists that you have to answer every one. Um, it's really just to kind of get you thinking. Okay, and the same thing with the second part, which will be on the present. Okay, then the third part I'll describe when we get to that part. So we're going to pass out the prompts um, for the first one. You'll have 10 minutes to write on each one of these. Okay, 
so again, you don't have to relate to all, and you may know exactly what you want to write, too. This is just to kind of get you thinking in case you're like, I don't know. So we'll go ahead and give you 10 minutes for that. Okay, so the last um, step in the inventory, um, and just to, I forgot to tell you to give you a time frame. After we finish, you finish the writing stuff, we're gonna go on to step five, in which you'll have an opportunity to share, and then we're gonna take a break. So, um, <clears throat> so the last part you're gonna do, I'm gonna give you about five minutes to do this, is on the back side of one of the pieces of paper, or, or clean sheet of paper, or whatever, uh, in your notebook, what I want you to do is, is draw a picture of your body. Now, I'm not an artist, so a stick figure works. The idea is to <laughs> represent that you have two arms and two legs, or if you only have one arm, whatever. Um, and then um, and then it's not about like drawing an intricate picture of your face, and then everything is just like nothing else. Um, on the parts of your body that you like, you're going to draw like a positive symbol. It could be a heart or a star or something like that. Just keep it very simple. Then the parts of your body that you don't like, you're going to put an X. And you can't put an X over the whole body. So you have to, you have to, if you can only find one thing, like you like your clavicle, whatever it is, your eyes, put a, a star or heart on something. Um, and, uh, and so I'll give you five minutes to do that. You can put yourself, with, if you're more comfortable drawing yourself with clothes on, you only have five minutes. So I literally just draw a stick figure because that's the extent of my artistic abilities. And then. It needs to be on a separate piece though, right? Yeah, you want it on a separate um, paper. All right, go ahead and wrap that up. <clears throat> okay, so uh, congratulations on completing your inventory. Nicely done. All right, step five, admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Um, it tells us in the big book on page 72 um, at, uh, let's see, the second paragraph. And I love this because it says, this is perhaps difficult. So the big book doesn't tap dance around. It says, like, this is going to be hard. And I love that and I appreciate that in the literature because if I was under any kind of notion that like this would be easy, um, I, I would have been very disappointed. Um, it says this is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects with another person. Um, and then it goes on to say at the bottom of the paragraph that trying to avoid this humbling experience, they've turned to easier methods invariably they got drunk. Um, and so the importance of sharing it is not just because it's something to go against your ego, but because if we don't, we will eat, and if we eat, we will die. So um, in the AA 12 and 12, on page 55 at the top, it starts out the step by saying, all of AA's 12 steps ask us to go contrary to our natural desires. They all deflate our egos. When it comes to ego deflation, few steps are harder to take than five, but scarcely any step is more necessary to long-time sobriety and peace of mind than this one. Peace of mind is what I had the least of when I walked in these rooms. So anywhere where it speaks to me of having peace of mind, I'm like, okay, and I listen in a little closer. Colleen, could you repeat your last sentence? Sure. Um, that was from the AA 12 and 12, step five at the very beginning of that first paragraph. It's page 55. 
Um, so what you're going to do is find a partner, and um, we're going to give you five minutes each. So obviously there's not time to share everything, but just share whatever you're comfortable with or part of it. Um, and then at five minutes we'll call switch, and then the other person will have an opportunity to share. Okay, does that make sense? Any questions? You're sharing your inventory. Yeah, what well, you just spent all that time writing and drawing. You don't have to share your picture. You can show your picture. It's totally up to you. Oh yeah. All right. Wait a second. Wait a second. I just wanna. I just wanna remind you for a second, really quickly. Um, that the purpose in sharing with each other is to just be a sounding board, to just be open and receptive. This is not an opportunity to let them know what you, what they can do to fix this, as well intentioned as that might be. Um, unless someone specifically says to you, I'd like your feedback on this, um, we practice restraint of, of tongue and pen. So the idea is just to listen while the other per person is sharing, and then when we say time, then the other person shares and the other person listens. Everybody doing okay? Yeah. Doing okay? Great. Okay. Well, guess what? We're on step six. Isn't that amazing? So, um, you know, in the 12 and 12, uh, the AA 12 and 12, the first line of it in step six is that this is the step, the step that separates the men from the boys. And I remember reading that, and I thought, how, how is step six? of all steps, the one that separates the men from the boys. Wouldn't it be a fourth step? Wouldn't it be a fifth step? But um, uh, as, as, a, as, we, uh, as I've come to see here, it says, <coughs> excuse me, on page 60, 68 of uh, the 12 and 12. So the Which difference. 12 and 12. What's that? Oh, I'm a sorry, AA. A. A. Oh, okay. Sorry. So the difference between the boys and the men is the difference between striving for a self-determined objective and for the perfect objective, which is God. And also, what um, I've come to believe about step six is, this is where we start making changes in our life today. You know, we did an inventory about our past, and we read that, but now, if we're really dedicated to doing this, now we're making changes today. So it's about the present. And um, what step six really is about, as they tell us in both 12 and 12, 12s, is that uh, willingness to change is the essence of step six. And this is from uh, September 19th, uh, The Voices of Recovery. And the little blurb says, a willingness to change is the essence of step six. Change is always frightening. Growing and changing is what OA is about. Miracles and spiritual awakenings have come as a result of my slow growth. I wanted to live in the insanity of doing the same things over and over, expecting different results. It was too scary to change. Thank God I stayed around until the miracle happened. S step six was my guide to a willingness to change. I'm grateful that I be became willing to surrender to the process. I welcome opportunities for growth and recovery to do things differently. That is change. My program allows me to take care of myself, to grow, improve, 
work with others, get out of myself, and make a difference in my world. I open myself each day to God's will for my life. I'm willing to go to any length to keep my recovery. Every day I work the steps and use the tools. I live life to, the, to its fullest in recovery and refuse to give my life away to my disease. I will always be a compulsive overeater, but with my higher power, I have the ability to change. And um, so in the OA 12 and 12 on page 56, it says, um, where is it? Being entirely ready means that we firmly turn our backs on the old destructive behavior and make every effort to act and live by the principles embodied in the 12 steps. Um, what we are asked to do in step six is become entirely ready for this miracle of release to happen to us, no matter what it may cost us, uh, no matter what in our lives may change. Um, and then also it says, being entirely ready, this is all on page 56 of the OA 12 and 12, being entirely ready means that we are completely willing to recognize and let go of our defective behavior patterns and to let God change us as God will. We don't set a timetable or method for these changes. When and how our defects are removed is entirely up to God. Um, and then on the next page, the first paragraph, it says, every character defect we have today has been useful to us at some point in our lives and we need to recognize that fact. Next, we need to recognize that each of these old tools for coping with life has now outlived its usefulness. So that's step six, and uh, we're gonna go right to step seven before we do any uh, writing. Step seven is uh, we're entirely ready to move the, remove these shortcomings, and Step seven, as it tells us in the uh, AA 12 and 12, is all, and it tells us in the OA 12 and 12, is all about humility. And there are lots of different definitions of humility in all the literature, but in step seven, it says, which I love, it says, it is a desire to seek and do God's will. And why do we need it, as it tells us on page 72 in the uh, AA 12 and 12? For just so long as we were convinced that we could live exclusively by our own individual strength and intelligence, for just that long was a working faith in a higher power impossible. Um, we, enjoy, we, we give up these defects because we enjoy moments in which there is something like real peace of mind. That's what I wanted. To those of us who have hitherto known only excitement, depression, anxiety, in other words, to all of us, this newfound peace is a pri priceless gift. So we use God to remove our defects the way we use God to remove our uh, food obsession and our uh, compulsive eating behaviors. So humility is recognizing that we can't and God can. Um, for me, I needed the um, food. I needed to be obsessed with myself, uh, physically and mentally. Um, I needed to think about that because my life was too uncomfortable to think about um, 
facing the truth of my life. This is just me, but um, I'm the kind of person I bought everything my family sold me. And um, I really believed everything they told me, which is kind of crazy. They did tell me some really good things, but um, they also told me some weird things. Um, they said, no one will love you like your family. And I realized a few years ago, thank God nobody will love me like my family. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, um, okay. Uh, now I have God, so I don't need that obsession. And on page 76 in the OA 12 and 12, it says, where is it? Oh no, it's not, I'm sorry, it's in the AA 1212, I'm sorry. It says the seventh, the seventh step, I believe it's the last page of it, isn't it? It's the last paragraph. Yeah, it's on page 76 of the AA 12 and 12. It is the very last paragraph. And it says the seventh step is where we make the change in our attitude which permits us with humility as our guide to move out from ourselves towards others and towards God. The whole emphasis of step seven is on humility. It is really saying to us that we now ought to be willing to try humility in, the, in seeking the removal of our shortcomings, just as we did when we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol and came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore <coughs> us to sanity. If that degree of humility could enable us to find the grace by which such a deadly obsession could be banished, then there must be hope of the same result respecting any other problem we could possibly have. Lastly, in the OA, uh, 12 and 12 on page 57, it says we need to recognize that each of these old tools for coping with life has now outlived its usefulness. Only when we realize they are costing us more than they are giving us do we become entirely ready to be rid of our, of our defects of character. So I've got a list of prompts here of defects. Um, these were just a few of mine, but you're certainly welcome to come up with your, your own. And um, so what you're going to write about, and you know, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> you just have a few minutes. You don't have to pick up all of these. But in relation to the way you feel about your body, because this is, we're always going back to that is, what was the benefit? What was the benefit of having this defect? For me, it kept me occupied, thinking about my body, and what is it costing me today to have this defect? Everybody get that? Okay. Can you repeat it one more time. Sure. What was the benefit of having this defect, and what is it costing me today to have this defect? To keep having it. Session yes, exactly. So you'll see the prompts and. Could you kindly repeat the question? Sure. Regarding uh, any of these defects that you come up with, what was the benefit of having this defect long ago, and what is it costing you now to keep it in relation to your body obsession? Okay. So after that writing, what, what we can do while we're waiting for God to remove these defects is act as if they have already been removed. 
and as it says in the OA 12 and 12 on page 56, make every effort to act and live by the principles embodied in the 12 steps. So we're going to move on to uh, steps eight and nine. So what is an amend? An amend, it tells me, is uh, to amend something means to change it. We complete our amends for our wrong, wrongful actions of the past by changing our actions in the future. Okay? Um, and then in Voices of Recovery, I love this, in Voices of Recovery of uh, July, June 29th. Our purpose in, in doing step eight is not to judge others, but to learn attitudes of mercy and forgiveness. An OA friend man, mailed me a sand dollar and an essay he had written on perfectionism. His writing helped me let go of this character defect. The essay says to look at the sand dollar. It's not broken, but it has flaws. It may be stained and have a nicked edge or a small hole. Can you still love it? If you can learn to love your imperfect sand dollar, you are capable of loving the imperfect world and people around you. People have disappointed you, hurt you, and let you down by being imperfect. Can you let go of the idea of perfection and accept reality, loving people just the way they are? Can you accept you just the way you are? Love the imperfect people around you. Love your imperfect self and your imperfect world. For if you cannot love life the way it is, you will suffer from eternal loneliness. We all live in an imperfect world surrounded by imperfect people. The ability to love yourself and those around you is a gift from God that enables you to live fully, bravely, and meaningfully in an imperfect world. Yes, only with ourselves. So when we make amends, um, we make amends for our actions, right? We don't make amends for our thoughts. Um, but when we make amends to ourselves, we make amends also for our thoughts because um, our thoughts, you know, our character assassination thoughts. Uh, so we make direct amends to such people wherever possible except what, when to do so would injure them or others. So the purpose of step nine is to clear away guilt and ill will so that we may establish better relationships with people whom our lives have touched. In most cases, this will require us to do more than just say, I'm sorry. In making amends, we'll need to acknowledge a specific harm we've done, apologize, make appropriate restitution, and change our behavior toward them in the future. How do we make amends to ourselves? It tells us this too. Uh, to amend something, is to change it. We complete our amends for our wrongful actions of the past by changing our actions in the future. This is especially important when making amends to ourselves. Uh, the words we say, uh, we owe such people living amends. The words we say to them will not be so nearly as important as how we act from them from now on. Uh, only by permanently changing our harmful attitudes and actions can we make it up to ourselves and our loved ones for the hurts of the past. So what you're going to do now is you're going to write an amends letter to yourself 
um, about the way that you have thought about your body, treated your body, um, your body obsession, uh, however you want to do it. But that's, uh, that's what we're going to do now for, what, five, five minutes? minutes? Five minutes. Okay, um, you'll share this with your partner and you'll each have two and a half minutes to read your letter. Okay? Didn't think I was going to say that, did you? <laughs> Okay. Thank you. Okay. I wanted to read this to you at the end of uh, your reading your letters. This is March 6th from the For Today, page 66. And the little quote is, let him go where he will, he can only find so much beauty or worth as he carries. I know what geographical cures are, I have taken some. Wherever I went, I ended up the same way, in the despair and degradation of compulsive overeating and the attitudes that go with it. Today I am worth enough to give myself the best, the best thought, the best care. I guard my abstinence and my program as though they were my dearest possessions, and they are. Wherever I go, I expect good, beautiful, and worthwhile things, and I find them. I treat myself and others with respect, and I do not react in kind to people who behave badly toward me. My self-worth comes not from others, but from myself, from caring about my own opinion and about what I do and say. All that I am and hope to be comes from giving myself the time and the patience, <coughs> compassion, and understanding to grow. For today, caring for myself is the best way I know to care for others and to find the good in everything. What was and, that? Which one was that? That's um, March 6, <coughs> page 66 in the, for today. And as it tells us in the big book that um, our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and to the people around us. And what he's talking about to fit ourselves is to get out of our self-obsession. So there you have steps eight and nine. Okay. Step 10. Uh, continue to take personal inventory when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. So in the big book on page 84, uh, about halfway through, um, it says, this thought brings us to step 10, which suggests that we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. So it's referring to what we did in step four and five and, and six, seven, eight, and nine. We've entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for a lifetime. Continue to watch for selfishness. So when I get obsessed about how I don't like how something looks, I'm now focused on me and I've lost focusing on you. I watch for dishonesty. Um, my perception about how my body is is very distorted, so I can't honestly make a real assessment of that. Resentment and fear. 
When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. So one of the things that I um, began to make a practice of, because I realized I had a lot of stinking thinking in my head about my body, um, what I thought of myself, and I was never too shy to let it run wild in my head. Um, and so I had to begin to notice it and to catch it, and that's part of what step 10 became. The other part of it, like we talk about, um, when dealing with the defects is I had to learn to practice the reverse of that, okay? So it wasn't enough just to not look in the mirror and be like, Ugh, when I got up first thing in the morning. I then had to make a contrary statement to that. Um, so there were a number of different things that I picked up over time and some that I just began to write out, one of which was um, just on a simple level as I out of necessity, literally, like as I was losing weight, like I couldn't, I, I almost like I'd close the medicine cabinet and be like, whoa, I'd be shocked at who I saw. Because, and so I realized um, I, that I needed to figure out a way to reconcile my vision of myself in my head with what was actually looking back at me. And so I began to say, God, help me to see me as you see me. Uh, and of course, I thought that just had to do with like physically, but of course it has to do with everything. Um, I also began to look at um, what were the things that I would say to myself when I would experience pain in my body or I would feel uncomfortable in my skin. And it was not usually nice. You know, I'd be like, oh, this is so annoying. Or like, what's my problem? Or, and I would just have to stop and say, you know what? It's okay. We're alive. We're breathing. It's good, you know? And, um, part of it, like an extension of that, you know, there was a gentleman in program who was a hundred pounder and he talked about this affirmation. He would say every morning, buck naked in front of the mirror. I was not willing to do that. But it basically along the lines was like about having God um, learn how to accept himself exactly as he was in that moment. And so that resonated for me. So I would begin to say the same thing. Sometimes I could say it in front of the mirror. I mean, just the face mirror. Um, sometimes I could you know, I would just say it in my head. Sometimes I would write it down. I actually, because I'm so compulsive, like I found a bunch of affirmations for myself that applied and wrote them down every single morning when I had my, my letter to God. I did that for like two and a half years. And then I realized I needed to hear them. So then for another couple of years, I would say them out loud every morning. And then now what I do is there's just different ones that I pick up on or catch on and I say it to myself in the mirror when I think of it. Um, but again, it's, it's about being in gratitude because regardless of all the crap that I put my body through, it's still functioning. It's still working and in really fine, you know, phenomenal shape. And I, and I take that for granted all the time. Um, and, and I don't want to anymore because it hurts my heart when I do. And the more that, sure. So, um, well, a big one for me is just because, like I mentioned, growing up, I never felt safe. So literally saying I'm safe because that makes that is a literal interpretation of my body. Like I feel anxious. I can't breathe. I stop. You know, I get tense in my body when I don't feel safe. So a lot of times it's a good one just because like, I'm not aware that I'm not feeling safe until I notice it in my body. Um, another one is um, I look I literally look at the parts of my body that I do like and will like focus on them and, and think about how grateful I am for them. 
you know, like I have this random thing I'll do all the time. Not all the time, but I'm being, you know, LA, you spend a lot of time in the car in traffic, right? So I will, I'll be sitting in the car and I, and I do this, like I put my hand behind my back and I know, I love like how thin my arm looks. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like I just like it. And so I just sort of marvel at it for, for a few seconds or something like that. But it's like, so it's about that appreciation. Um, of course, all the, the myriad of affirmations are like totally out of my head at the moment. So I can't come up with any more specifics in that one. But those are probably some key ones. Um, so what you're going to do is for a 10 step is you're gonna, um, whether it comes from your amends letter or something just popped in your mind, um, you're gonna write out an affirmation on this index card. Now, just to be clear, an affirmation is something that is to be stated in the present, okay? Like I am beautiful or I am grateful for my body or I am uh, God's child or whatever it is you want to say it, it can be very specific to body image it can be just something you're taking away from today and um, I would suggest not making it too long because if it's too long it's not something that will begin to sort of come to mind and um, not make it conditional like when blah 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 happens or when I or if this to, it needs the idea of an affirmation is that it's something that you can you know, be okay with. You may not always agree with it, but you can be okay with it and might actually believe it a little bit. Because what you're going to do, um, and when I get into step 12, we'll talk more about this, is the idea is that you will say it um, for the next 30 days. So whether you put it in front of the mirror, on the fridge, because we always look at the fridge, um, <laughs> anywhere that you'll be reminded, you know, say it at night before you go to sleep, say it first thing in the morning or whatever, but you're going to write it down and then you're going to keep it someplace where you can remind yourself to say it at least once a day. So I'm going to pass out these index cards. I'm going to give you about three minutes to write down an affirmation. Uh, there's no right or wrong here. Okay, as you're wrapping up, I'm going to read um, from the Voices of Recovery for December 10th. Um, this says, as we repeatedly act on step 10, we begin to see the remarkable way the steps will, from now on, continue to remove unnecessary turmoil and pain from our lives. More gifts are in store for us as we continue working the program and experiencing the miracle of permanent recovery one day at a time. That's from the OA 12 and 12, page 89 and 90. Ours is a disease of attitudes. However, the years I've spent in OA have shown me that although my disease is progressive, so is my recovery. When I was active in my eating disorder, I hated everything about my life. My world consisted of binges, blame, fear, shame, jealousy, and rage. I was imprisoned by unrealistic expectations of people, bitterly resenting their imperfections. I also hated myself because I couldn't stop eating. Negativity breeds hopelessness and I was trapped. Recovery teaches me that my gratitude and serenity snowball just like my negative attitudes did. As I work the 12 steps of this program, it becomes fulfilling to focus on the good in my life. It doesn't always come easily. Sometimes I struggle to think positively. But when my attitudes slip, I know there's hope. Now my world consists of daily miracles, both large and small, that keep the light in my eyes and the lightness in my heart. Positive thinking breeds acceptance, and today I am free. Okay. Um, we're on to step 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. 
as we understand him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out, or the short version, thy will not mine be done. So what is prayer? In the AA 12 and 12, prayer, it tells me that prayer is the raising of the heart and mind to God. Um, and it is a petition to God. Uh, to a, a petition to God to let us know God's will for us. We try to ask for those right things of which we and others are in the greatest need and knowledge for his will for us and the power to carry that out. And then on, uh, it says about meditation. Meditation helps us uh, envision our spiritual objective before we try to move toward it. Its objective is always the same, to improve our conscious contact with God, with his grace, wisdom, and love. And let's remember that meditation is in reality intensely practical. What if, it, what if one of its first fruits is emotional balance? Um, and in, uh, in the uh, OA 12 and 12 on page, uh, yeah, page 96, it says, meditation gives us the much needed practice in the art of sitting still and opening our hearts to receive spiritual nourishment. So what we're going to do now is have a minute of a time med silent meditation and um, uh, I want you to think about the ways, what you think about your body and your body obsession and see if you get anything. So we're, we're gonna start as soon as I make that. Okay, we're gonna start now. Okay, so the writing for step 11 is, you're going to write a letter from your higher power to you, telling you how God sees you and your body. Everybody get that? I will. You write a letter from your higher power to you, tell, and your higher power will tell you how your higher power sees you in relation to uh, your body sees you and in relation to your body. Okay, we'll have three minutes to do that. Okay. Now, is everybody done? I see some people aren't done. We're gonna share this with your partner and you'll each have two and a half minutes. What's that? Oh, I just love that you don't tell us before. Oh, why, why would we? <laughs> why would we tell you that? All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are now at step 12. Congratulations. So step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and practice these principles in all our affairs. So on page 89 in the big book, it tells us that practical experience um, shows that nothing so much uh, ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics as um, with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. Um, and then it goes on to remind us that frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. Um, also, in the AA 12 and 12, on page 125, 
It says to us, for it is only by accepting and solving our problems that we can begin to get right with ourselves and with the world about us and with him who presides over us all. And then lastly, from the Voices of Recovery on page 16, which I believe is January 16th, it says, those of us who live this message don't simply carry the message, we are the message. Each day that we live well, we are well, and we embody the joy of recovery. And that's from the OA 12 and 12, page 106. When I first walked into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, I was like the candle whose light is flickering and close to going out. I was sick in mind, body, and spirit. I was hopeless. Many OA members describe OA as the last house on the block. I do not know if that's true since I do not know where the block begins or ends. <laughs> I do know that what I found in OA can only be found in the heart and mind of another recovering compulsive overeater. The flickering light that I came in with became stronger and the hopelessness turned into hopefulness. I can be a living example or a dying example of how the program works. My courage to recover and my experiences in OA serve as an example to those who know me. I represent and carry the message of hope. So as part of that, um, that was uh, page 16 in the Voice of Recovery from January 16th. Um, what we're going to do is we're as, as a closing is we're going to stand and um, share our affirmations. If you're not comfortable sharing affirmation, just say pass. And then once everybody has shared their affirmation, then we'll say the serenity prayer. The second part of that 12 step that we try to help other compulsive overeaters, um, and then it talks about the, that being the bright spot of our lives, is that at the end of the 30 days of saying your affirmation, pass it on to somebody else. Yes, at the end of the 30 days of saying your affirmation, pass it on to somebody else. <laughs> all right. Oh, there's all kinds of things. Like they say 21 days to form a habit. I've heard that practicing something for four, how many times a day? As many times as you want. I don't think it hurts to say something positive about yourself, like as many times or with every breath, you know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my body is a delicious beacon of light today. Wow. I am good enough as I am, and I am safe. I am important and am number one value to my life. Mm -hmm. I accept mm -hmm. my body just as God has made me this day. Mm -hmm. I feel my belly, and I feel me. I am okay. Perfect today. Mm -hmm. I am great to pass. I am beautiful and deserving of love. Mm -hmm. I am grateful. I am beautiful. I am worthy of a strong, healthy body. I accept and love myself exactly as I am, right here, right now. I am enough and I am safe. I am grateful for the unique shape of my body. I am a lovely, juicy, vocal, expressive, sexual being. I'm going to do that. I am beautiful, fierce, and strong. I love my body. Mm. I am capable of change. I'm grateful for my strong, healthy, beautiful body. I have everything I need today to experience that I am whole, complete, awake, and alive. I am grateful. I am at peace with my beautiful nails and my beautiful me. 
I am creative and interesting and capable of changing the things I don't like about my life without fear. I am likable today and I love myself today. I am enough, I am safe, and I can make positive changes. I am filled with joy to know the world wants to do awesome things for me. I let it happen consistently. I am good enough, I do enough, I have enough. I rely on my higher powers' direction and support every day. I am delighted by my amazing, beautiful, gorgeous, strong, God-given body. I love and accept my body as it is. I am a shining and beautiful woman of intelligence, wisdom, and effortless accomplishments. I am loved. I am lovable. I'm always supported by, by God in my relationship with food and my relationship with my body. Who's right here right now? God. God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Keep coming back. It works if you work it and you're worth it. Yay!